You're listening to another episode of Living Well with Eisenhower Health. Healthcare as it should be. My MRI shows I have a meniscus tear. Now what do I do? Is ice and rest and over-the-counter medication enough? Or will I need surgery? I'm your host, Evo Terra, and today, to help me answer those questions, I'm joined by Dr. Dustin Briggs, orthopedic surgeon specializing in hip and knee arthritis. Dr. Briggs, welcome to Living Well with Eisenhower Health, healthcare as it should be. Yes, Evo, thanks for having me. So what is the meniscus, and what does this thing do? Yeah, so we have patients show up frequently to clinic having had an MRI, and they say that their meniscus is torn. And I have found that the expectations for that visit are all across that board. And so today we're going to kind of clarify, you know, what the meniscus is and what it does. So in general, there are two types of cartilage in the knee. There's the smooth cartilage that covers the ends of bones and allows them to rub smoothly together. And then particular to the knee, there's a second type of cartilage called the meniscus. And in medicine, we like to compare things to food. I don't know why we do that, but we do it all the time. And I think the most close resemblance is calamari. So when I see calamari, it's rubbery, it's a disc shaped, and that's kind of what you think about in the meniscus. And we have two meniscus or menisci in our knee, one on the inside and one on the outside. And we call those medial and lateral respectively in medicine. So briefly, that's what the meniscus is in sort of, you know, layman terms. Got it. Makes sense. Now, I recall many moons ago when my wife was a hockey player and wound up tearing her meniscus on the ice. I wasn't even there. She had to drive back home, which was a terrible thing, and went to the MRI and they said, yeah, sure enough, you have a tear indeed on your meniscus. I know what she did about that, but for the people who have this diagnosis, what should they do about that? Yeah, and that's kind of the fun thing about hearing people's stories is that just with that story, you learn so much about someone. And, you know, hearing that your wife is active, she plays hockey. And so just the story kind of allows you to get a sense of what the expectations are going to be of that patient. And so meniscus tears in general, we have to take the context of that tear. And that's really what I wanted to talk about today. When we talk about arthritis, that for the most part talks about the other kind of cartilage in the knee, the smooth cartilage. When the smooth cartilage starts to wear out in our joints, for the most part, that's what we mean when we discuss arthritis. So a meniscus tear in the context of arthritis, we don't actually address the meniscus directly because the whole knee itself is wearing out. And so addressing just the meniscus wouldn't resolve the symptoms. I kind of use the analogy, you know, I'm from Iowa and grew up mowing yards and it's kind of like pulling the dandelions but leaving the thistles. You know, you're only sort of addressing half of the problem. And so a meniscus tear in the context of arthritis, we tend to treat that more down the arthritis pathway, which is inflammation and pain control, kind of symptom control and ultimately more down the road of knee replacement options. Conversely, a meniscus tear in the context of no arthritis, the treatment can focus more on the meniscus if it's appropriate. Right, right. And I want to talk about the arthritis and a little bit of knee replacement because I know exactly where this is headed for me eventually if I look at my family history. But let's think about more about the tear. Sure. I recall what she had done, but it was almost 30 years ago. What are the treatment options today for meniscus tears without arthritis? Yeah, so meniscus tears without arthritis, I would say the younger the patient, the more aggressive we are to treat them. And so especially in like kids or people in their 20s or 30s, there are some types of meniscus tears that are actually repairable. So we go in arthroscopically and try to repair the meniscus tear and get it to heal. Now, as we age, the healing potential of the meniscus 
or the pattern of the meniscus tear kind of dictates if it has much healing potential or not. And for the most part, as we age, that goes down. And so arthroscopic surgery for a torn meniscus as we age is more of a trimming or we get rid of the tear as opposed to trying to repair it. So most often we come in and trim a little bit of the meniscus away. And from a long-term perspective, the meniscus acts as a shock absorber. So the more volume it has in the knee, in general, the better it functions. So as we're trimming away some of the bulk of the meniscus, we also, in a way, allow it to be less of a good shock absorber and less of a stabilizer. And so we try to just get rid of as little of the meniscus as possible. In the olden days, we would do full meniscectomies where we remove the entire thing, and we found that rapidly leads to arthritis because there's just too much pressure on the cartilage. So so I'd say it's limited debridement, where we call it, where you just trim away the tear and leave as much back as possible. Yeah, and that's exactly what she had done. They just repaired the tear itself, which, well, they trimmed the tear, which to me, that's when I hear tear, I think something has been torn asunder, is ripped apart. And I'm not sure how just trimming off the part that was ripped solves the problem. Can you help me understand that? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, we, we use kind of buzzwords in medicine to describe the tear and the radiologist and we kind of read it accordingly. So if it's a really simple tear, kind of only in one direction near where it attaches to like the joint capsule, those are kind of the ones where we can repair. But if there's a multi-directional repair, kind of a frayed rope, if you will, then that's just too hard to repair. We can't put those ends back together and have them heal predictably. And so those are the tears that we tend to trim away. And that's, you know, a meniscectomy, we call that. And so in, in trimming that section, it's trimmed now so that the meniscus can just heal together on its own. Is that the idea? Yes, that's a good question. And that relates to the indication of the operation. And so if you have a meniscus tear and pain is the only presenting factor, most often we'll try to treat that without doing any surgery. So that can be uh, physical therapy or injections or oral anti-inflammatories. So there are lots of options to address a meniscus tear if pain is the presenting symptom. And a lot of how we think about meniscus tears actually changed in 2013 when there was a study in the New England Journal of Medicine. And this was out of a VA and it's a pretty well-known study within medicine where they did an arthroscopic partial meniscectomy like we've discussed versus sham surgery. So they actually just made incisions but didn't do the surgery. So it'd be very hard to get a study like this approved you know, now. But when the pain was the only presentation in an otherwise non-arthritic knee, the immediate result was no difference, you know, no, no difference over the next 12 months. And so we kind of stopped using pain as the indication and more mechanical symptoms. So when that tear is loose in the knee and it's causing problems, kind of getting pinched between the femur and the tibia, it causes some catching and grinding and popping and a sense of instability and like you're going to kind of, you know, fall. Those mechanical symptoms are the best indication for arthroscopy. And we've got a lot of options, it sounds like, that, that you've just mentioned right here. So let's think about prevention. It's worth an ounce of cure, I believe, is the uh, something along those lines. Oh, I may be mixing a metaphor up just a little bit here. What can people do to prevent themselves from getting a meniscus tear? Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. And so a lot of people come in and I shouldn't have been so active as a kid and it was all that weightlifting, all that football. And in a sense that's true, but also there hasn't really been any literature to support that, you know, activity level, even high impact activity level leads to arthritis in the knee. And indirectly we kind of associate that with the meniscus tears. So, you know, marathon runners haven't really necessarily been shown to have any higher rate of arthritis than, you know, a couch potato. And in fact it might be opposite. The more adipose tissue we have, the higher 
inflammation we have in our bodies, and inflammation is pretty directly associated with arthritis in the knee. So I try to encourage people to stay as active as possible. Having said that, we don't want to get hurt. So avoiding injury is really the best way to do it. So, you know, pickleball is just, it's all the rage now. My parents are just totally into pickleball. It's huge where I live here in Coachella Valley. So, you know, I encourage people to be as active as they possibly can, but there's a lot of points in pickleball. So don't go diving for balls and don't put your injury at risk. You know, pivoting, weighted pivoting type movements in the knee are a risk for meniscus tear. So you want to move your feet a lot. You don't just want to keep your feet planted and kind of pivot on your knees. You want to keep your knees moving, take small steps. And I think those kind of things can help protect against injury, which is really what leads to most of arthritis. Right, yeah, we definitely want to want to keep our knees as healthy as we possibly can. For a moment, let, let's talk about some non-surgical interventions that can happen. I know that you know my mom's had a knee replacement, and so she gets some sort of shot. I don't know what the shot is. She calls it chicken fat. I don't know if it's a cortisone shot or a gel injection, perhaps stem cells. What is out there that doesn't require surgery? Yeah, so yeah, the chicken comb. That's kind of what people they come and ask for the chicken comb, and that was kind of the first uh, first available formulation for a gel injection, which we call the hyaluronic acid. And so a lot of patients ask for hyaluronic acid. The literature is a little mixed on its efficacy. I usually say it's kind of a rule of thirds. A third of patients have a great result. A third of patients have some marginal relief. And unfortunately, a third of patients just don't really notice much difference. Rarely do patients get worse from that injection. Cortisone injection is kind of the bread and butter. That's a, I call it kind of a turbocharged anti-inflammatory that goes into the knee. So instead of taking like an anti-inflammatory like ibuprofen or something orally, we inject it into the knee and it's got really strong anti-inflammatory effects. You know, getting those sparingly, if you still have pretty good preservation of the cartilage, I think is a pretty good idea. Once you lose the cartilage completely in your bone on bone, I think it's pretty safe to do pretty routine cortisone injections every three or four months if it's working. But like I said, while you still have some cartilage, you may want to do that sparingly. There are some other injections like stem cells and PRP that have, they're not covered by insurance, so they're a little less utilized. Stem cells haven't had much. I would say that the at this point in 2022, the cost of stem cells is kind of prohibitive, and I'm not sure that the value, the benefit outweighs the cost. PRP is a platelet-rich plasma. That's where we draw some of your own blood. We spin it down and get all the good healing factors in there, and we can inject that into the knee too, and that does decrease some of the symptoms as well, and that's reasonably well supported in the literature. But again, that does cost quite a bit as well and is not covered by insurance. So There's no silver bullet for injections. Otherwise, we would do that as opposed to knee replacements. We don't have an injection uh, now currently that restores the missing cartilage and no injection that can kind of heal or repair a meniscus tear. So there's really no such thing as reversing the arthritis or the cartilage loss in the knee. Right. Well, let's take this to the logical conclusion. Arthritis. It's set in. We have problems and it's caused a meniscus tear. Does that automatically mean knee replacement? Yeah. So, you know, and I just kind of want to touch base on that a little bit. I do like to pair an MRI in my clinic with weight-bearing x-rays. And so if, if I'm doing the workup from start, someone has knee pain, they haven't really been seen by their PCP much, and they come straight to me, I'll get weight-bearing x-rays first. And if those weight-bearing x-rays show more than 50% joint space loss in that knee, then I know there's a little bit of arthritis, and I know there's probably a degenerative-type meniscus tear. If the x-ray shows bone-on-bone arthritis, then there really is no need 
for a for an MRI to make the diagnosis. There may be an, a role for MRI to determine what surgery to do and the extent of the disease and all that. But to make the diagnosis, of just a simple weight-bearing x-ray can often save people thousands of dollars in the time of getting an MRI. And so that's good to know. But if the MRI has already been had and then we pair that with, you know, bone-on-bone arthritis, then a knee replacement is an option. Typically, we do want to wait until the x-rays show severe disease before considering a knee replacement. And so it can be a little frustrating for patients that don't quite meet the criteria for a knee replacement, but clearly have a real problem with their knee. And I see this frequently. I mean, multiple patients that are in that exact category, and it's frustrating for me and it's frustrating for them because the knee is not normal. However, they're not quite yet a candidate for a knee replacement, and it can be a very frustrating place to be for patients and uh, surgeons alike. And so that is why there's such a big market for all these injections. And in a way, it, you know, it got to be careful with those injections because they're kind of targeted at a vulnerable patient population that would like to do anything to get pain relief, but they're not a candidate for surgery. Well, thank you, Dr. Briggs, for all the information. I, I, I hate that it's a waiting game for some of us, but now we've got more information and more information is always helpful. Yeah, I can't thank you enough for having me today. It can be a, it can be a frustrating diagnosis. It's a confusing diagnosis. And so hopefully we clarified a little bit today kind of what patients can expect when they come to us with a meniscus tear because it's not quite as straightforward as what what it might seem just based on the MRI. And once again, that was Dr. Dustin Briggs, orthopedic surgeon, helping us figure out whether or not knee replacement or meniscus tear surgery or other options is right for us. If you have more questions or you'd like to schedule an appointment with Dr. Briggs, call 760-773-4545 or go to eisenhowerhealth.org slash ortho. That's eisenhowerhealth.org slash O-R-T-H-O. And thanks for listening to Living Well with Eisenhower Health. Healthcare as it should be. I'm Evo Terra. Stay well.